literally, I jumped out of my seat in a room full of completely casual fans. And one of them even said, you don't have to get that excited about it. <laughs> I was like, you don't understand. I actually do. I want to scream about it. Krypton to Alderaan. I'm Joey, your Star Wars lover, and with me is Royish Good Looks. Hello, podcast. Hello, Joey. Hello, and we're the podcast that analyzes nerdy pop culture stuff, but it's mostly Star Wars. And this episode, we will be talking about The Mandalorian after two years. The Mandalorian Chapter 17, The Apostate. But first, find us. Search Krypton Alderaan on social media. There's stuff we're going to talk about this episode that I would love, love, love to hear other thoughts on. So let us know. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We're also doing cool stuff on YouTube. Krypton Alderaan everywhere. Chime in with the conversation. I think it would be a blast. What do you think about that, Royce? A call to action. I think this is the way. <laughs> Perfect. With our Bad Batch episodes... I have been creating my own synopsis up front that I've been reading on this podcast. If you haven't listened, go listen to our Bad Batch episodes. They're a lot of fun. With this one in particular, though, I'm going to read the official synopsis so that everyone can hear why I make up my own. <laughs> Ready? Official synopsis. The Mandalorian begins an important journey. That's it. Less? It's certainly <laughs> less. Put that on the DVD, throw it in the garbage. Disney, just hire me to write these. It's not even a not even a clickbait title, you know? Right? You'll never believe who shows up in the end credits. <laughs> Some kind of turtle crocodile monster. Okay, let's start here right off the bat. Royce, The Mandalorian, Chapter 17, The Apostate. What did you think of the previously on with no ties to the Book of Boba Fett? Well, right out of the gate, starting with IG-11, that was not on my bingo card. You know, like yeah. the previously on IG-11 self-destructing. I love IG-11. I thought he had a lot of interesting stuff, but who would have guessed? I would have guessed you're going to start with let's catch up on why Grogu would be back. If you are familiar with Book of Boba Fett, you probably would think the same that for anybody that missed that show, they're going to need to see that. They didn't go there. And I don't remember what else was in there, but they... They just jumped right in after that. Like, I, why was IG-11 the most important thing? Very left, left field for that. What about you? Agreed. No one can see this because we're a podcast, but I'm nodding heavily along. Oh my goodness. The decision to go to put those two episodes in the book of Boba Fett was problematic to begin with. And then to not have it in the let's catch up with what's going on right now segment of this show blows my mind. It's almost as genius as it is really dumb. So dumb it's brilliant? No, it's just dumb. Add the gif from, from that new Brian Johnson movie. I get pushing, wanting to push audiences to all of your shows. It doesn't work. It do we were watching it with a group of people last night that had not watched the book of Boba Fett. So it just doesn't make any sense. So the description you just read of the episode is short and sweet. And they don't bog you down with the details. And maybe that's part of the way that they approach the Mandalorian. If I would have guessed anything is that, you know, before 
the Rise of Skywalker trailer, they gave you the whole kind of Skywalker saga supercut. And you're like, mm-hmm. wow, what an epic tale over these eight movies leading up to this ninth <laughs> finale movie. I think that might have been really satisfying to see like a whole recap rather than like just a little bit. Hey, we're going to bring IG-11 back for only like two minutes in this episode. And we're going to start with him in the previously on. Very odd, great podcast fodder. I think we could just bash on this for a long time, although we've maybe resolved to try and do that a little bit less. But it's another (laughs) elephant in the room that it's a little boggling. So while we're on this, can we just go right to the Grogu scene when Grief and Mando meet up and Grief Cargus says, I thought you got rid of Grogu. So they don't bring all this information into the previously on. Grief asks Mando about it. Mando's initial response is, uh, it's complicated. And then he delivers two more lines of dialogue that do summarize it. Uh-huh. But it wasn't in the previously on. And then they just yeah. they accept it and move on. And like you said, dust your hands of that uh, one line of dialogue and we're good to go. Did you think mm-hmm. that that was sufficient enough? I didn't even notice it, honestly. As someone, I should have asked the people I was with, but as someone who did watch The Book of Boba Fett for better or worse, I didn't even notice that that might have been like trying to make up for that or summarize all that stuff in one line of dialogue. Uh, so I don't know. I, I guess I don't feel like it made up for it, but I didn't notice it when it was happening. I think just like the description you read from Disney+, Plus, it was the bare minimum they had to yeah. do to get to the next plot point. And that's probably why it's like that. The writers are like, there's no point of making this a perfect landing. It's going to be messy no matter how we slice it. So rather than draw it out, we rip the Band-Aid off, and now we're into the actual season three. Can we all just get along? <laughs> yes. And with that being said, this ends the part of the podcast of stuff that I was frustrated about with this episode. And we're going to get into how much I friggin' loved this episode and how much I love seeing this show back. Maybe we should have prefaced, prefaced with that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for well, sticking with us regardless. <clears throat> yeah. What a smooth transition. Now we're now we're in happy. Now we're happy. We're going into happy. Another happy podcast. <laughs> so backing up a bit, before we go to Navarro, we go to an unnamed planet. We see the armorer and the children of the watch. She's the armorer is making a Mandalorian helmet. The armorer was able to build this in a cave <laughs> with a box of scraps. <laughs> and then She's like baptizing the new kid into the watch. And Din comes in. Din flies in on the friggin' awesome N1 and saves them from the Turgator, which I have deemed that thing, or Turgator, whatever whatever pronunciation you want to use. And he's there to ask her for redemption. So what do you think of Din continuing to seek redemption? Season after season, you and I keep coming on this podcast and talking about how like, Similar to what we're doing with the Bad Batch, like when is Din going to break away from the Children of the Watch as he's learning more about different Mandalorians? So what do you think about this, him continuing to seek redemption with the Watch? That's his family. That's all he knows. And he wants to belong with them. So I can see why that's so important to him. When he meets Bo-Katan, he's like, who are you people? You meet a different culture, you're confused by them, and he doesn't feel a part of them, even though they have the Mandalorian armor. They immediately are like, you aren't the same as us. Both of those yeah. worlds collide. and. When he zooms in, dude, he saves that entire Death Watch clan. So, yep. you know, going to the Mines of Moria, you know, like, this is <laughs> this is great if that's the way he can redeem himself. But it did also just save the entire clan. You guys did yeah. not seem to be having a lot of luck taking down uh, 
Blastoise there. So you <laughs> probably already owe Din, or you're either even, or yeah. it's a little confusing there. He saved everyone's life. So that's that should be a win by him in the clan's eyes. But he's still, yep. the armorer still says like, why are you here? You're not one of us. Which is another reason why maybe Din, this is a subtle hint here that you saved their lives and they no one said thank you. And he doesn't even bring that up. Like it doesn't even cross his mind to bring it up because he's so, they also saved him as a kid. And I think that that's the thing. Like they saved him and brought him in, became his family when his family was killed during the Clone Wars. Thinking about this now, being so adamant that he should like give up on this cult, give up on the armor. She kind of sucks, leave. But he's so ingrained in it. It's so part of him because he was brought in as a foundling. So he doesn't even mention, hey, I just saved your life. How about a little like, how about like maybe not being extremely as unwelcome as as you are? On top of that, when he asks the, the armorer about redemption again, which by the way, we did talk about in Book of Boba Fett. This is another thing that could have been part of the previously on. They kind of have mm -hmm. the same conversation over again that they had in that weird Halo planet thing, Halo ring. Yep. When he says, could I not be redeemed? Like, and he already knows this. She already gave him permission in Book of Boba Fett. Again, what the, what the heck? <laughs> but the armorer hesitates to answer. She looks over at Grogu, which I'm like, why is she looking at Grogu? And she already told him that he could be redeemed, but the mines are destroyed or, or whatever. And it, was it mines? I might even be misspeaking here, but the waters of Mandalore, he's got to be redeemed in. Yeah, the living waters under the mines, yeah. But she doesn't immediately say like, yeah, yeah, I told you. Just go to those and you'll be redeemed. But uh, it's hard to get there, so good luck. She pauses almost as she's like, doesn't want it to be an option for him, which is another odd kind of moment. But she does say, in fact, this is the way. She interprets their creed, literally, go do it. But she doesn't seem to have much faith in him. And she maybe doesn't like the idea of him going back to Mandalore. She was put off by seeing that crystal from the surface. There was some odd tension there. So there's a lot of like, even baggage maybe within Death Watch, you know, not just Din's baggage, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Death Watch clan's baggage as well. Yeah, and I think she's also worried about him learning too much, him learning these other ways. She knows he has the Darksaber, so he's going to maybe be in direct competition for leading. Right, and it's like a culty thing where the leader does not want you to learn about other stuff, right? They mm -hmm. don't want you to be educated on, on other things because you might find a different way or a better way or a way that works better for you and she wants to control all of that that's the feeling that that mm. i get from all of it before we fly away from the planet here's a little fact about that kid that the armorer is baptizing when we first get to the planet they played one of the tuscan raider children in book of boba fett did you know that joey thank you for the factoid i did know that because <laughs> i was watching john favreau on jimmy kimmel this morning on, nice. on youtube and he was telling that story that Apparently, it's Jimmy Kimmel's nephew. Uh, the kid's name is Kimmel, and I was wondering if he was related, if they, I was wondering if they were related to Jimmy Kimmel. Small world when you work for Disney. On that note, did you think that that was a new character, or did you think that that was a flashback to Din's indoctrination at first? Listeners, please, please, please chime in. I immediately thought it was a flashback. The kid looked to me like Din. I think we get to see Din in one of the flashbacks in season one. But anyway, I thought it was a flashback and that that was Din, 100%, and until he flies in on the N1. Did you feel the same? Well, they had the uh, Tar Vizsla guy there, so it was like, well, that would be weird if he's old, that old and Din's that young. Maybe that's possible. But I think that that was definitely a bait-and-switch thing to make you think that that was a, 
a flashback. And then when Din swoops in, kind of interesting the way they framed that there. So that was cool. Yeah. And I wonder if that's going to come back up to play uh, like another another version of Din, maybe because the kid doesn't finish the creed before Mm. the Turgator interrupts everything. So I was a little curious if that's going to come back into play. Royce, let me tell you something. I'm bracing for impact. For this next bit, I'm going to take off my analysis hat that I think I'm, I've am i been pretty diplomatic while we've been talking about like the Bad Batch and stuff as far as analyzing stuff. And I need, need, need to put on my canon-loving fanboy hat. When they leave the unknown planet that's now home to the Children of the Watch, they're in hyperspace and Grogu sees the Pergil in hyperspace outside of the N1's window. And I lost my shit when that happened. Did you connect that to Rebels at all? The end of Rebels? So I saw the shadow and I saw Grogu because they're supposed to be kind of force sensitive, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Well, I don't know if they're force sensitive or if Ezra, Ezra had a very strong connection to being able to connect with animals through the force, but they can travel in hyperspace. They were like the first hyperspace travelers. So I didn't know if Grogu just saw the, the silhouette or if he was kind of communing or whatnot, he also seems to have a connection with animals. Yeah, I saw the silhouette and I was like, oh, it's those space whale things that have popped up every now and then. I had a little bit of smirk on my face because I was like, I know enough canon to get this reference. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. I was looking over to Robin, though, and I was like, I, I can't say anything. Well, I, <laughs> I, I was going to mention it. I was like, it's going to come up at some point in time and... That's also interesting because you said you watched it with people that are not, that didn't see Book of Boba Fett. I don't know if they're canonophiles, but that's an odd moment of like, what the heck was that? Is that going to come back? Is it a one-off thing? Very Mm. interesting if you're totally unfamiliar. And if you are familiar, I thought that was a subtle enough hint to the broader spectrum of canon without being, you know, too fan service or too, what the heck just happened there? It's just kind of mysterious little, little nugget there. Yep. This is one of the opportunities I, I, I use to take after the episode to gather all the people around and explain what this meant to them. I had a little canon story time after the episode was over. But it's also like without knowing what they are, I think it's just a beautiful scene. They're, hyperspace is always beautiful. And then you see these creatures with the music. It was all, I think it's just like a pretty scene. But literally, I jumped out of my seat in a room full of completely casual fans. And one of them even said, you don't have to get that excited about it. <laughs> I was like, you don't understand. I actually do. Uh, any Rebels fans listening, please hit us up. I would love to talk about this more. I, I want to scream about it, actually. I'm so excited for that connection. I'm curious if it'll like come back up in, in this season of The Mandalorian or if it's just like, oh, we're going here. Here's uh, Pergil to remind you of they were still searching for Ezra and it might not come back up until Ahsoka or something. But anyway, I was so, so, so excited to see the Pergil. I'm glad that that was connecting for you and, and making you enjoy the show. I do worry that our excitement may downplay how cool that would be for somebody else. Because as soon as you say, oh, but then you got to download the extra content for that scene mm. to, you know, but that moment's still really cool if you had no idea. Yes. What was that? That It's almost more interesting to not be tipped off that that exists somewhere else and then make the connections because that's why you enjoy it. You can connect it to somewhere else. 
it's kind of like giving someone the answer key to the test and they haven't learned the actual information yet. That connects to this other thing. You kind of almost spoil the experience. There's no mystery there. You know, oh, that's a space whale. If mm. if people are then tipped off. So I kind of worry about that in shows like ours, if there's a casual listener or the partners who are watching with people that are not also embedded in the canon. So I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. But I, I agree with you that the scene was very well done in the light speed. Time that we spent in Lightspeed was probably one of the longest in all of Star Wars. And I always mm -hmm. think those scenes are very visually interesting. And it's a fun avenue of Star Wars that they're not just in space. They're in that hyperspeed lane or whatever. Yeah, I'm very interested to hear what everybody thinks about that scene as well. Standout scene for sure. You bring up an interesting point. Like I obviously I'm a huge Star Wars canon fan. I'm at one end of the extreme. But I also know that if I... I'm a fan of canon and continuity. And if I'm watching something new or getting into a new sci-fi series or reading a new sci-fi book or listening to a sci-fi podcast, and there's expression of that canon and continuity, I get excited about the lore of any world, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So so knowing that there is lore inspires me to go and research more of it and, and tap into that canon-loving part of me. I guess there's a long... There's a long distance between those extremes is what I'm saying. But that is all to say, casual fans listening, I hope that you're excited that this excited me that much. And I think it will pay off in the live action stuff. And if you want to know more, go watch Star Wars Rebels. It's an amazing show. How's that? Love it. <laughs> Once Din and Grogu leave Navarro, the pirates attack him. So he he like encounters pirates on Navarro and they have a shootout. I don't want to recap. It's a great episode of television. Go watch it if you haven't. <laughs> but the, I want to I want to ask you what you thought of the dogfight. It's probably tied with my favorite dogfight in Star Wars with the opening of Revenge of the Sith. What did you think? I got major, major alliteration and poetry from uh, <laughs> from Attack of the Clones with Jango Fett and Obi-Wan with Empire Strikes Back and, you know, the asteroid field. Yeah, it, it felt familiar and it was really, it was a fun little dogfight and didn't Rex those pirates. I love how they, the pirates were so boisterous, but they couldn't hold their own in the streets or in the skies. and Or in the sheets, <laughs> probably. Oh, man. <laughs> and then I love the big reveal at the end that there's like the big boss battleship. I'm bringing them right to you, boss. Then didn't just like, Ah, let's get out of here. Peace out. Yeah. That is such a cool ship. It's a great ship. And they're just out of there. There was no no issue for him. So it was kind of interesting that he like faced these foes, but they really weren't a problem at all. But I also love that they had a little space battle thing. There was that was for one sect of fan. You know, there was a lot of good spaceship stuff. Light speed, they're doing the dogfight. They have the Western standoff in the streets. I think this is the the cream of the crop for Mandalorian is it is good for everybody. There is something for everybody to pull from this. Canonophile, casual fan. Uh, and I think that's one of the strengths of the series. Yeah, I, I want to see more space battle stuff. And we saw him really coming into his own with that N1 Starfighter, you know, without the, we thought like, what is he going to do without the Razor Crest, you know? Yeah. He doesn't yep. seem to be, at, you know, it's not holding him back. He adapts. 100%. And, and coming into his own with the N1, when we see him in Boba Fett training with the Darksaber, he's having a real hard time. He can't really get, he's fighting it. He's not using it the way it's supposed to be used. Flash forward to this dogfight. We see him as like a very competent pilot and fighter. 
And it was just so fun to watch. And just the shots of it and him going like upside down around the asteroid. My favorite bits were him like hiding in the asteroids and then like picking them off. It was very like horror movie-esque with something hiding somewhere in the asteroids. And then he'd like blast them and the Mandalorian music would swell. It was so good. I loved it. <laughs> Fun scene, probably really annoying level in a video game, though, that I would die many times and have to redo yeah. or put in a cheat code. But great TV. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what I think is set up as maybe the the theme of this season. Maybe I shouldn't say that because we're like one 35 minute episode in. Obviously, it struck me as very important where we've like had this fun dogfight and then saw the Pergil and there were all these kinds of like fun little things. And then we get to the maybe more somber, serious part of it. What did you think of Din meeting up with Bo Katan and specifically the armorer and the children of the Watch having this population of Mandalorians? Whereas Bo Katan, who wants to be the ruler of Mandalore and Mandalorians, all her people have left her. Right. Bo Katan has been been left for dead on the in the castle on Kavala. There we go. Thank you. Thank you for saving me there. <laughs> but but on the other hand, the armorer is indoctrinating new children into their cult. So yeah, there's two different sides of that coin there. Bo Katan, she is so salty, man. You mm. had said. Uh, in our season three predictions, which listeners go go back and listen to our mini clip show of our season three predictions before Book of Boba Fett and before the season three trailers for Mandalorian. Very mm -hmm. uh, some of them on on point, some of them not so much. But Joey, you had mentioned <laughs> you had mentioned we gotta get Bo Katan the the dark saber, and she's gotta bring Mandalore back together. And she is so mad that you know her world came crashing down, and Din's got the saber. And Din is the only one who he walks the line of the Mandalore. He's in between the cult. He's actually like exiled from the cult right now. Mm -hmm. And when he meets up with Bo, he says, I'm here to join you. And she's like, ain't nothing to join, bro. So it's so interesting. But he has the saber. Bo's mad that she doesn't. And Din could potentially lead or he could potentially join his cult again. Or he could just be the marshal on Navarro. So he's yeah. got a lot of options of what, if he truly wanted to look within, what is what is best for Din to be doing in the galaxy? And like you said, what's the theme of this season? I think he's still got to figure that out because he doesn't have any clue what the reality of Mandalore is, but he will soon find out and that will inform what he wants to do next. So I don't know. There's still a lot that remains to be seen there. I am excited to see what happens next. I will say, Rolling into the end credits was not as epic as I would have expected from like the opening episode of a season. You know, there wasn't right. that big stinger at the end where you're like, holy cow, who shows up at the end? He's just kind of like, okay, I'll go to Mandalore. And we kind of already knew that from the trailers. So that wasn't a really huge climax, but that's neither here nor there. That's, of course, my expectation of what I, I want from the show. What do you think about the two sides of the coin with the armorer kind of growing more strongly, worried about Din, and then Bo-Katan left for dead? Left for dead in the castle of Kalvala. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head with, I want Din to figure out what's best for Din. Take a look inward, Din. Go to the hot springs. Be the marshal of Navarro. Live your life with Grogu. 
but that would not be an exciting thing to watch on Disney Plus every week and then podcast about. Hey, subscribe so you never miss out. It's just so interesting to see Bo Katan telling Din he's a fool for wanting to go bathe in the living waters under the mines of Mandalore, looking for magic pools in order to get accepted back into the Children of the Watch for the helmet stuff. Like, she's kind of like, you're an idiot. You're a fool. Just because you take your helmet off doesn't mean anything. But she's putting the same weight on this laser sword. Both are Mandalorian myths slash traditions, whatever you want to call them. She's so blind. She's so obsessed with the Darksaber giving her permission to rule that she has like lost her faith in herself as a leader and thereby her people have lost faith in her. The Darksaber to her is the helmet to Din. I had never thought of that before, and that's that's a great parallel there. Yeah, and I think she is more prone to, like, let things fall apart. Clone Wars fans, hit us up. She feels guilt for choosing the wrong side during the Clone Wars that led to her sister getting killed. Her sister was the ruler of Mandalore, and then she got the Darksaber and united Mandalore in Rebels, but then somehow lost it, and she believes that she needs it to lead. Where Din believes that he needs his helmet to be a Mandalorian, she believes that she needs the Darksaber to not only be a Mandalorian, but to rule Mandalorians, which is like even extra. It's still just this nonsense. What does she say to him? The mines provided Beskar to her ancestors. The rest is superstition. It's just a lightsaber. (laughs) It's like, that's also the superstition. So yeah, it's just really interesting to see them butt heads on this. I think it's because they're more alike than anything else. Well. You know, she's missing an opportunity because of her blindsidedness here. He says, I'm here to join you. And she's so defeated. She can't even see that, like, he's reaching a hand out to her. And mm-hmm. she's she's just as, you know, bigoted as him. Where She's like, you're in a cult. You know, like you said, you're a fool. She's none of that's going to help your situation. This might make for an even better climax for the season or the series or whatever that when she finally does come around and they do reach common common ground, you know, that has to be part of what they're setting up because she wanted the saber. She wanted to rule Mandalore. She was putting the pieces together. She just didn't get the saber. Din, he's not far enough on his path yet that he's ready to rule the traditional Mandalorian people or the other, I don't even know what you call them, but the other Mandalorians. So, and he doesn't even care about the saber. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about these kind of uh, mystical parallels between the saber and the helmets. And I love that. Uh, I'm a little bit more on board. You know, I was already on board. Bring it on, baby. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the different sex of Mandalorians. Sex, sure. Sex can't be different, but the sex can't be the same. That's a little Bo Burnham for you. (laughs) She says, your cult gave up on Mandalore long before the purge. And she's such a hypocrite, but I think that she knows this. Like, I think that's why she's saying this stuff and she feels the way she feels. But she was in Death Watch. Your cult? It was your cult too, Bo, at one point. I get that you feel bad and your sister was murdered and stuff, but it's a little hypocritical. Well, and it's too bad she's she is making fun of the Darksaber a little bit. You go wave it around. Wave it around. They'll do whatever you say. Well, so wasn't that what you were going to do? And (laughs) she she could have reframed that and been like, I did want to take it back. I can't be the one to do it. You are the only one who can do it. Mm -hmm. And and that could have been a totally different path that they would have gone on. They could have left together. So we'll see how she comes around or if she comes around at all. Yeah. When Din gets the Darksaber from Moff Gideon and he goes to the bridge of that ship, he he doesn't understand it. And and she's like, 
you beat him and you got the dark saber and Din's like I don't want it take it and she's I think she's like I can't take it I have to win it in combat or maybe Moff Gideon says that she doesn't say that but Moff, like, Moff Gideon gives you the TLDR as, why that tradition Bo why are you against like this group of Mandalorians having these traditions but that tradition and superstition you're stuck with Royce, we're 35 minutes into the third season of The Mandalorian, and I want to ask you, what's Din's quest? Are we going to Mandalore? Are we going to get IG-11's, the part that the Anzellans need to fix him? We're running from pirates. What do you think? Yeah. Is the next episode him landing right on Mandalore? Or does, you know, he have trouble with his ship and then they, they stall for an episode before he can actually get there? I would love to just go right to Mandalore. Let's jump right in. Like the show is the Mandalorian. Everything we've just talked about, there's so much to unpack and put back together here. He needs to go get redeemed, see what's going down there. That's what I would love to see next. We'll all be seeing that relatively for the first time too. We've seen Mandalore in Clone Wars and Rebels, but we've not seen it in this time period, certainly not in live action. So we're all going to be learning through this. Overall quest is that Din looking inward. I already gave this on our season three predictions a year and a half ago. I want him to become the leader. He has the Darksaber. If that means anything, you know, there's lots of prophecies in Star Wars. That's just the way that their worlds are built. And true or not, the idol does mean something to people. So I want him to come into the own there, you know? He wanted to give it away, but he can also accept it and lead and bring people together. I think that's the quest, right? <laughs> mm. Unless he does retire, you know, we could go for a loop. The Book of Boba Fett, you know? Oh, I don't know mm. if I'm cut out for this lifestyle here. They could pull one of those. Who knows? Uh-huh. After all that. Yeah, I love that quest. Looking inward. That should be all of our quests. That being said, I would also love for him to go to Mandalore. I would love to see Mandalore. And I mean, we're going. Uh, it, it's silly, but we're we're going there. I was just, they like piled so much stuff on in this episode. Like it was very short and everyone's like, I want more. But also like I felt very comfortable with the runtime because it felt long. And also because we, you know, I knew we would be recording a podcast episode about it. I'm very surprised that he didn't just go to Tatooine from Navarro. Like I figured, oh, he needs the IG-11 part. He's going to go to Pelimato and the Jawas. But instead he goes to see Bo-Katan. So I think that's where we're going next. I will love, love, love to see Mandalore and maybe he'll learn some stuff about the Darksaber there. Maybe he'll learn about Tar Vizsla and the original wielder of the Darksaber. Maybe he'll ride the mighty Mythosaur. Who knows? I didn't want to complain about the length. It was short, but you're right. They did pack a lot in with what, what the Armorer's Clan is doing, where Bo-Katan is and where Din is or isn't, and maybe where he'll wind up. So there was mm-hmm. still a lot there to chew on. So maybe it was like a, a pretty well thought out introductory episode. So there you have it. Another, another happy podcast. Another happy <laughs> podcast. Let me, one, one last question. With the previous two seasons of The Mandalorian, where would you rank this episode? Nothing's going to top being introduced to Baby Yoda. You know, like, who is mm. who is the Mark, you know? Oh my God, it's a Baby Yoda. You're never going <laughs> to top that, you know? You're never going to top Luke at the end of Force Awakens. Those are really big moments. And I don't think mm-hmm. they needed to write a big moment, you know, because they've already, they've already hooked people. And Baby Yoda yeah. is in fact back. I think if Baby Yoda, Grogu, 
had not been reintroduced in the book of Boba Fett, that might have been a really interesting parallel story for episode one here and maybe hinting that he'll come back to Mando. That might have been one way to top some of the other seasons. Interesting. Yeah, well, I agree that that hook, I mean, that hook's never going to be topped. For me, the question is kind of like, did you love it or did you love it? And I got to (laughs) say, I freaking loved it. I'm so excited to be back with these characters. I'm so excited to be back in this world, like quote unquote world within Star Wars. That Pergil moment, y'all, was everything to me. So that really put it on top of a lot of different stuff. And I just had a lot of fun. I love the Mandalorian castle. I love the dogfight. I friggin' love that giant pirate ship. It feels like they're really going for it. I really, really loved this episode. I did too. All right, listeners, we want to hear what you loved about this episode. If you didn't love some things about it, that's okay too. But hey, be generous with your feedback on the Mm. show, right? Let us know what you thought about it wherever you like the social media. We are there too, and we'd love to keep the conversation going. And tune in next week because we'll be talking more about The Mandalorian and more about The Bad Batch, and we'd love to have you back. Thanks for listening to the show today. I've been Royce. I've been High Magistrate Joey. And we've been Krypton Krypton to Kalvala. Kalvala.